What's going on and welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson as we continue our player recaps here in the middle of the first week. Today's topic is Lonzo Ball. Of course, joining me as always is Jim Eikenoff for Pelicans.com. And now joining us is Christian Clark, who covers the Pelicans and the NBA for the Times Picky U Navigate and NOLA.com. Christian, how are you? How are you joining the playoffs? Oh, it's, it's been a lot of fun, man. Catching up on a little sleep, watching some billions, and just mainlining <laughs> basketball. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Faku Campazzo, you know, nutmegging somebody last night. So we're off to a good start. How much, how many uh, Top Shot, I guess, I don't even know how you call it, cards have you purchased? Moments. Right? What, moments? How many moments have you have you purchased since the offseason? <laughs> uh, I've been taking it easy since the offseason. Me and my wife both agreed that I only have X amount of money to load into the account. So, you know, I got to kind of sell off some to, to keep getting packs. So I'm not just, uh, you know, spending all 100% of my paycheck on Top Shot. <laughs> have you made it? I'm curious before we get into Lonzo Ball. This is not a Top Shot podcast, I promise you. Have you made any money on some of your moments? Um. I actually don't know what the value of all of my moments are. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much I should talk about this, but I have uh, I have two Zion moments that I'm just sitting on for the okay. long haul. Uh, but you know, to me, it honestly is more about the fun part of it than like, you know, I'm treating these things as stocks. Like right. to me, you know, I feel some of the joy I felt when I was like 12 years old getting basketball cards, like you know, unwrapping a pack like that. So I'm I'm kind of just having fun with it. If this podcast was a top shot moment, how valuable would it be right now? <laughs> um, for you guys are worth a lot. I really value okay. my relationships with you guys. And I that, think was, that was an that excellent. Was that was an excellent uh, pause there. I like that. He was <laughs> trying to figure out how do I how do I answer this and not sound sound horribly patronizing. So that was great. Very nice. Well, Christian, we wanted to have you on uh, for Lonzo Ball, and, and you know you, you're giving us a, a little bit of a hard time about how you're a third on the list between Andrew and, and, and Zion. But really, <laughs> we we say we save the best for third. So really, we're starting at the top here with Lonzo Ball, and I think it's important just because before we get into him, I mean, the social media buzz surrounding Lonzo Ball is something in itself, as far as you know how dedicated his fans are um, to seeing him play and see him succeed. How how interesting was that part of it when you're tweeting about Lonzo or writing about Lonzo, things of that nature of, you know, his fans and how dedicated they are to wanting him to do so well in the NBA. Yeah. He's an incredibly famous person. Um, you know, I learned a lot about that just writing about him for the past few years and some of the response you'd get. I did a story on uh, the Chino Hills team that he was on his senior year, which went 35 and 0 won a California state championship. I mean, they were, a huge deal regionally there. And I think, you know, that was part of the reason why he has this enormous passionate fan base in California. I mean, they, they really left an imprint there. You know, that, that team that went undefeated with Lonzo and his two brothers. I think the first time I, I really realized, you know, how far the reach went, I did like a mid season report card after his first year here. And I didn't give him like a great grade and people were really mad. Um, but I mean, I think overall, I mean, he's, he's definitely improved here. Um, and you know, he's clearly a guy that his teammates enjoy playing with. Jim, what did you notice? Because obviously you did the same thing when writing about Lonzo ball or, you know, interacting with fans. Did you kind of see the same thing in your involvement with them? Yeah. It's interesting what Christian mentioned about, you know, the popularity of his high school team. I definitely think that that's a big part of 
how he became, as Christian said, very a very famous person. He's not just a famous basketball player. Like in the scope of celebrity, he's pretty much way up there at the top of the list. But so that's part of it. But I think what's really interesting to me, one of the things that's interesting to me is I don't feel like as the more exposure you get to kind of his fans and I, I term them the Lonzo lobby because I feel like he has like a lobbyist group, like a giant super PAC that supports <laughs> him and in every way, kind of like a political arm. It's, it's amazing when you actually see, especially on social media, like just how large that, that group of people is that it's almost like a movement, but I don't think when I think of the group of people though, that, that I have exposure to, and I'm sure Christian feels the same way or similar, similarly, um, it doesn't seem like it's like your tradition, always your traditional basketball fans. Although I know that there are people that his high school career and his college career made people really like him. I, I was that way with him as far as when he played at UCLA. I was I love his approach to the game, the way he's a pass first guy. But I think the the group of people that I see, at least a big portion of them, are really more of the type of people that like watch reality TV. And I'm the last person to ask about reality TV because I can't stand a lot of those shows, but I do feel like, and and Christian, you can weigh in on this if you, if you'd like, but I feel like some of the people that support him are people that aren't really huge into basketball, but like the fact that he's a celebrity and support him in in that regard. So um, that part is interesting to me. And and also, and one, one of the reasons why I say, I don't think some of the people are traditional basketball people is you, you hear them say things like he needs to shoot. He needs to touch the ball every time on offense, or he needs to take more shots or he he needs, the team needs to revolve around him. And to me, that's not coming from a place of people that understand sports. Also, this is a, this is kind of a mini rant for me too. I feel like a lot of people, it's funny. It's like, they don't understand. They don't get the concept of Lonzo ball as a basketball player whatsoever. And that's part of why I feel like they're not coming from a, place of understanding sports. And what I say that is he's a pass first guy. He loves to get teammates involved. One of his biggest strengths is he sees the floor so well, he has his head up all the time. So if that's your favorite player, why are you ranting to us about, he needs to take 35 shots a game. And you know what I mean? Like they need to run everything through him and people get mad when we give too much credit in their opinion, we give too much credit to Zion and Brandon Ingram. It's like, that's not how Lonzo thinks at all. So that's the part that's so baffling to me is that some of his most ardent fans seem seemingly have no understanding of like where Lonzo is coming from. So that's kind of funny to me. It would be like, I think one of the analogies I would use, it would be like if we had a bunch of Rudy Gobert fans who were saying like, you know, Rudy Gobert needs to shoot more threes. I don't understand why he's focusing on defense so much. It's kind of like that. It's like just a completely, um, and I'm not saying this about the majority of Lonzo ball supporters, but I've never seen a group as large as the ones I just described who seemingly have no co- comprehension or understanding of like what, where, where the player is coming from in terms of their opinion of the way things should be. Yeah. I mean, to your point, I think where the biggest disconnect I see is there, there is this like segment of the, uh, the fan base that I think, you know, thinks he should be the number one option on an NBA team thinks, um, you know, he's like a, a bona fide star and, I think Lonzo Ball himself thinks of himself as a, a star in his role. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we asked him, you know, after this season as his exit interview, you had a pretty different role, I understand, Van Gundy. I mean, in transition, you kind of were the guy with the ball in your hands, but in the half court, you know, you played more 
off the ball. Um, and I think, you know, there were some positives there. And I asked him what he thought about that role. And he said, look, I'm, I'm just a basketball player. Like, however, I can help us win. I mean, I think that's how Lonzo thinks of his game. Like, he's here to fit in and be a really good complimentary piece next to Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Um, and I don't know that that's how the most passionate members of his fan base feel about his game. And, you know, one thing I'll add to that, too, he seems like such a great teammate. I think across the board, everybody on the squad likes him and appreciates the way that he approaches everything. He's extraordinarily unselfish. He's happy when other guys play well. So it's kind of a juxtaposition of you have that mentality, and then you have people that I, I kind of joke about this that um, will say to us, they're almost mad when other players do well on the team or other players um, succeed because they feel like that means that Lonzo's not getting the credit that he deserves. And that I can't think of a more opposite approach to – thinking about basketball or thinking about a team than, than that in terms of the way that Lonzo thinks. So I think that's kind of funny. That's one of the things that has really struck me the last couple of years. Go ahead, Christian. Oh, I, I totally agree, man. I mean, he really couldn't be a, a more unselfish basketball player. Um, I don't think. And, you know, we just hit on it, but Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson love playing with them and they pretty yeah. much lobbied. Both of them have lobbied multiple times throughout the season you know, to bring him back next year. And we'll, we'll see how everything shakes out with restricted free agency. But that's something you hear time and time again, publicly and privately, is that people really do love being teammates with Lonzo. That's a great point. And it's something that has been said um, across the board from players uh, within the organization. Um, you mentioned the role change, and I think that's a very big point to talk about this year. Understand Van Gundy compared to his role last year with head coach Alvin Gentry. Christian, I'll start with you and then go to Jim, but you mentioned some of the positives that you did see from that. What were some of those that you noticed with that different role for Lonzo? Yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing is he was one of the most productive three-point shooters in the entire NBA this year. I mean, the efficiency was up a, a tick from last year when it made a huge jump. He was up a, above eight attempts per game from three-point land. Um, there just weren't a lot of guys who shot as much as efficiently as him in the NBA. I think he was like 14th or 15th in uh, three pointers made per game. I would, I would have to double check that, but I mean, that's, that's a clear positive. Um, and, you know, I, I think this kind of hybrid role that, that Stan Van Gundy laid out sort of before the season. I mean, I think Lonzo mostly succeeded in that. And, you know, I think when you look at the starting backcourt as a whole, you know, it did, leave something to be desired it definitely could have been better but I mean I think you know Lonzo fit in that role and and maybe you know if you have someone next to him who is a better complement to his skill set gives you a little more creation in the half court then then it could have a chance to really pop yeah you know one of the things that was I thought was really interesting that I was a little bit surprised by but in hindsight it probably shouldn't have been that surprising was Lonzo said the day after the season that he, he kind of described it as a more of a three and D role. And I never really think of him in, in those terms, but I think that was pretty accurate as far as what, you know, the team was asking him to do, especially offensively, like you just said, how he was one of the most prolific three point shooters in the league. So one of the things I noticed though, um, kind of along the same lines of what Christian said in his second year with the Lakers, he, his role changed very similarly where he went from, as a rookie, he had the ball in his hands a ton. To his second year, LeBron, LeBron James signs there, and all of a sudden he's playing off the ball a ton. But I think the big difference between 
year two for him and then year four, which just ended here in New Orleans, is his three-point shooting is so much better. So he can he can acclimate to that role a million times better than in his second year with the Lakers. Um, he had a lot of injuries in L.A. and missed a bunch of games in his second season. He missed the last, I think, 30-something games that year. So people, people were critical of him, um, just the fact that he didn't play that well in that role. But he's so much better now at being able to do that. Just the, the improvement that he's made three-point shooting-wise is incredible. I mean, it's not something that you see very often to go from where he was his first couple of years to where he's been the last two years where he's right around – you know, 37, 38% from three point range. Yeah. And to go, you know, your first 21 years of life or whatever it was and, and be shooting the ball one way. I mean, he was shooting kind of this like, you know, crooked um, left to right form and completely, you know, overhaul your jump shot in, in one summer and to implement those changes in the game positively. I don't think that's easy to do. I mean, I think that's really, really hard to do to, to make such significant changes. So I mean, I give him a, a bunch of credit with the work that he's put in with Fred Vincent. Absolutely. And, he, and you talked about it, Chris, as far as sometimes, you know, that backcourt um, had a lot left to be desired of. And, you know, that that translated into games as far as wins and losses. And I kind of felt like Alonzo a little bit summarized how the Pelican season went as far as the roller coasters. You'll see the games with Lonzo with six, seven, eight threes. And, you know, the Pelicans are getting a win. But the next night or next day, it's or a couple games later, it's one of 12 from three or two of 12 or or just something where it's not consistent. How much of how the Pelicans results were based on what Lonzo was doing at the guard? How much, you know, we talk about uh, Zion and B.I., how much you rely on them for wins. But it really seemed like when you were looking at notes and stats that a lot of it depended on the play of Lonzo Ball. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think he's been the team's biggest swing player even the last two years, not just, not just this season. I mean, I think when you saw them, you know, go on a run in 2019, 20, right before the bubble, um, it was because Lonzo ball was playing better basketball. Um, so I, I think that's definitely fair to say. I mean, when he's on the Pelicans had a pretty good chance to win um, more often than not, you know, as far as some things that he can continue to work on, I think to, to smooth that inconsistency out, um, I don't think he has a lot of counters in the half court when his outside shot isn't falling. And this is something I've talked a lot about a lot over the last two years. I think continuing to be more comfortable getting inside, um, you know, finishing around the rim, even when there are guys in there and, and not being afraid to draw contact are all ways that he can impact the game when, you know, that night that your outside shot isn't feeling great inevitably comes up. Jim, what'd you see? Is that something that you noticed too a little bit of how much the, the backcourt, whether it was Bledsoe and Zoe or just Zoe by himself, how that kind of affected the Pelicans results throughout the season? Definitely. And I, I think part of this was the role and the three and D thing that I mentioned. But um, one of the stats I was looking at was Lonzo, the, the first season in New Orleans, 58% of his field goal attempts were three pointers. This past season, it was 65%. It seems like he's heading in that direction where he's becoming to the point. I mean, almost two thirds, obviously. I know that's some difficult math for me. Almost two thirds of his shots were three pointers this season. So, you know, he's been, as his three point shooting has improved, it's a lot more reliable, obviously, to, for that to be a big chunk of his shooting. But I still think it's unavoidable that you're going to have swings from game to game if that's how much of your shots come from three point range even the best three point shooter in the league is, is going to have nights where he goes two for 10. Um, we even see, we see Steph Curry have that happen to him sometimes as well. 
So I think that part is tough. Another thing that um, if you really like dig down at some of his stats, um, his first season in New Orleans, 22% of his field goal attempts were from zero to three feet, which is basically the restricted area. And then this past season, it was only 15%. And I think one of the things that um, I'd like to see, I think everyone would like to see probably including him is just for him to get to the free throw line more when, when that small amount of your shots are coming right at the basket, you're not getting a lot of free throw attempts. And early in his career, if I had said, you know, I want him to get to the free throw line more, you probably would have been like, are you sure about that? Because he doesn't shoot through free throws very well, but he's improved that so much granted in a small sample that I I'm curious to see, you know, if he can have more confidence going to the basket, because I think the results will be much better in terms of his free throw shot just looks so much better. And he's obviously made them at a, at a much higher rate. So I think, you know, along the lines of what Christian said, he, uh, he needs to be able to do more different stuff. I thought during offensively, I thought at the end of the season too, he was actually bringing out a little bit more of a mid-range shot. It was kind of an unconventional like sidestep mid-range jumper. He did that a few times and that was good to see, but um, just bringing out more parts of his offensive game, I think will help him a ton in, in ways that you won't even necessarily just be able to see in the stats. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty interesting that, you know, he has gone from this guy in four seasons where he was a sub 50% free throw shooter to, you know, up above 75% now, you know, he's, he's, you know, somewhere between, he was somewhere between league average and good in terms of percentage this year, but yet the attempts didn't really go up, um, you know, along with the percentage. So I think definitely that's, that's a big area for improvement moving forward. It's just getting to the line a little more consistently. I mean, I think when you can do that, people respect you as a driver a little bit more in the pick and roll. I mean, I think a lot of times when he's driving in the pick and roll, like the big man who's kind of playing too knows like, well, this guy isn't really a threat to try and go finish at the rim. So like, I don't, I don't need to commit and it, and it just kind of you know, messes everything up for you. So I think that's definitely one area for improvement, um, but he's on the right trajectory for sure. And, and with his size, it seems like, I mean, it's easy for me to say this sitting in my comfy chair, in the uh, smoothie king center but with with his <laughs> with his size it seems like that's doable it, it's not like he's a you know a 510 guard who is going to have trouble finishing around the basket or shooting over big guys so i think that's definitely something that is is a possibility that he can add to his game of just drawing more contact and getting to the free throw line more yeah jim i feel like people like us you know us five foot six five foot eight guys when we see a six foot six guard you know we're a little bit jealous man <laughs> i'm five I nine remember, i'm definitely jealous too <laughs> there was a yeah. uh, there was a kid on my high school team who would always uh told the bigger players if i was your height i'd be slamming uh and, you know, <laughs> some part of me feels that way too when i see uh bigger guards yeah yeah uh, I jokingly say if I was six, six, I would, I'd be playing in the NBA, but that we know that that's not true, but it's just fun to think, think about and say. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, a couple more things before um, let you all go defensively. Um, I'll, I'll start with Christian and go to Jim is what did you like about his defensive presence this year? And maybe what on that side can be improved on? I'll start with you, Christian. Go ahead. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, after watching for two years, I think I'm uh, probably a little bit lower on his defense than the consensus. I mean, I think he does have good anticipation skills, which are kind of reflected in those steal and block numbers. I remember that play against the Pacers where they won the game in Indiana, where he kind of sprinted from the three point line to the basket and, and basically stopped the drive and mm -hmm. they won the game. Like 
I think he does have the ability to see a few plays ahead and that's really helpful for him. I think, you know, where he needs to continue to improve is getting into offensive players and, and making them feel them. Um, I mean, I think you know, the Pelicans got kind of torched this year by, you know, pretty good and, and elite um, perimeter players, Darren Fox, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry. I think they got to have a guy in the perimeter who can kind of get into those guys and make them feel them and, and be physical a little bit. I mean, I think Lonzo you know, has the potential to do that. He's got great size, like we talked about, um, but just being up a little more. Yeah, I, I mean, you said pretty much exactly what I was going to say. It's just I think it's about more physicality and stopping dribble penetration. He is very good weak side off the ball. I think we saw the kind of the same thing with Kyra Lewis and this. That'll be something that we'll have to monitor over the next couple of years. But um, anticipation away from the ball is great. But as a whole, I feel like we didn't see enough from New Orleans guards as far as um, – getting in people's faces. It seemed like there were a lot of games where there was just little resistance. And that is a huge problem, especially when the other teams are making 20 plus three pointers. And I think that the point of attack being, being bad or being a, a below average often led to so many other problems in terms of other players having to help. And I mean, the help defense for new Orleans is another topic that we could spend time on, but um, just specific to Lonzo and the guards, I think, Christian nailed it as far as, you know, there needs to be more more games where at the end of the game you remember a bunch of plays that he made defensively or a bunch of times where the other team was just made uncomfortable, whether it was getting into the – just even getting into the offense, I think a lot of times it was too easy for other teams throughout the season. With that being said, I'll, I'll leave it here with Christian before we go. I feel like with everything we've talked about, how great of a teammate is, the shooting, the different role – um, his defensive presence. I feel like this makes David Griffin's decision extremely tough this offseason, has the advantage of him being restricted free agent. But I'm curious to see how this plays out with him because he's kind of the big question mark when it comes to the Pelicans in their offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of one of the questions of the offseason. I mean, you know, what number are they comfortable bringing him back at? Um, there's been, you know, a lot of reporting out there that the Pelicans might look to explore a sign-in trade. I mean, that's a scenario that I could see happening, but it's it's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, it's if you've watched closely these past two years, I mean, I think anybody who's honest can tell you it's it's hard to value what Lonzo has given you because there has been improvement. There have been a lot of nice things, but, you know, it, there's the inconsistency and they, they just haven't won enough. Absolutely. Should be an interesting offseason. That's for sure. That's Christian Clark, Pelicans beat writer for Times Picayune and the advocate NOLA.com. You can follow him on Twitter at CClark3000. Christian, we appreciate the time. You did so well. Let's bring you on next week. How about some Billy Hernan Gomez talk next week for some play recaps? Hey, man, if you start giving me the plush assignments, I might gift you a top shot moment. <laughs> I'm in. Let's do it. All right. That's Christian Clark. From NOLA.com, Times Biggie and Advocate. Again, always great to have him on the podcast. Again, follow his work on Twitter at CClark3000. So, again, we wrapped up with Lonza Ball tomorrow. Todd Graffinini will join us for some Stephen Adams conversation. And we'll wrap up the first week on Friday, Jim Iconark and I with Eric Bledsoe. Hope you all have a great rest of your Wednesday. Until tomorrow, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CClark.